politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, scorned taxpayers, and overall disenfranchised good peace-loving Americans, the one and only Conservative Review podcast in the house for another terrific week. Um, Daniel Horowitz back here at Blaze Media, and I am sorry for cutting it a little bit short last week. Had a lot on the plate in some of my personal life, so it's been a long weekend, and as always in the era we live in, even a regular weekend uh, provides us with so much material we cannot cover in one Monday show, but we will try to do it through the prism of COVID and courts. It's what's for dinner. If you merge those two issues together and you understand them, it really affects every facet of our lives. Because the truth be told, courts and COVID all boil down to one thing. That we have reached a point in this country where our entire political class doesn't understand what a political fundamental right is, or I'm sorry, what a fundamental right is as opposed to a political right. And pol- and fundamental rights have been contorted and flipped on their head so much that what's up is down, what's down is up, what's in is out, what's out is in. The true fundamental rights that we have have been stripped from us, while what is antithetical to a fundamental right has been elevated to such a degree by the courts, by the political class, that we have a country that is unrecognizable at this point. I think back to really commemorating what today means. Before we go on, I want to talk about, obviously, those stupid hearings, which I don't want to watch. I have the screen on, and it's just insufferable even to watch it with everyone wearing those dumb diapers on their face. I guess in addition to them wearing diapers on their rear ends, the Depends, they will now wear a diaper on their face too. It's hard to know where the real face is because they tend to talk out of the other side. And obviously, I want to get to all the new news on the virus that ties into the lies of the corona cult that's dehumanizing our very face with the masks and denuding us of our fundamental rights and Republicans going along with it just as much as Democrats. And I'm sick of it. I'm just sick of these Republicans. And I want to just tell you, I am not going to be that guy that for the next couple of weeks is all about Republicans good, Democrats bad. Well, Democrats are bad, but Republicans are enabling it in a way that sometimes Democrats could not accomplish on their own. And frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of it. Now, look, you know, God presents us with choices. And if we have a choice, I'd rather Trump win. But you know what? Sometimes... Once God makes that choice for us and it's out of our hands, it turns out that there's ancillary benefits to the other side too. And the biggest problem we face with the crime, Antifa, BLM, Corona fascism, fundamental rights being flipped upside down, the role of the courts being contorted inside out, is that we don't fight back. We don't even get on the playing field. So perhaps maybe taking away this crutch of the Republican Party, which is viewed as a vehicle to protect us, but in fact, it actually enables the left to 
do to us what they can never do alone because then they get to use the Republicans as a, kind of this false flag, this punching bag for blame. Maybe it will work out better. Who knows? We'll see what happens with that. But I did want to say today is Columbus Day. The first Columbus Day we'll, we'll celebrate without almost any Columbus statues left hanging in this country. In my homeschooling lessons with my oldest son, we learned a lot about the exploration era, the 15, 1600s. And you look back to these voyages, obviously, on the face of it, they were about economic reasons, some greed of monarchs, power and control, kind of what we have today, commerce. But ironically, it was divine providence because what they stumbled upon was not what they were looking for. It wasn't the East Indies. It was the discovery of a fresh start, a clean slate, a land that had not been populated, at least not with a governing body and a nation state, that wasn't tainted by monarchs, by one man controlling another man, his body, his soul, and his property. It was divine providence where in post-enlightenment there will be a vestige for humanity, for civil and religious liberty. At its core, that's what we are commemorating with Columbus Day. More than him as a person, more than the actual voyage and what it was designed to accomplish, it's the divine providence of what God did with that and several other similar voyages at the time and subsequently, which eventually led to the Mayflower, settling of Plymouth, the creation of the colonies, and the creation of our constitutional republic in 1789. I look around, and you see a country now. You see New York City where... This 18-year-old punk was arrested three times for assaulting cops. And then he headbutted another cop. I believe this was his fourth assault. And he was let go the next day without any bail. But at the same time, on that very Saturday, this happened on Saturday. His his name was um, Jose Rivera. At the same time, It was a Jewish holiday, and Jews were congregating in synagogues to celebrate their holiday, and it was the Sabbath. And the Gestapo issued numerous citations. It's funny, I actually spoke with a rabbi in New York City who um, leads a synagogue that was originally started by German Jews that fled pretty late after Kristallnacht. Um, I, I guess that was 1938, really late. They were um, literally German refugees. And obviously they're, they're not around anymore, but that's uh, that's who founded that synagogue. And he was telling me about all of the subterfuge they had to employ 
to enter their synagogue and leave in different waves. Almost like the underground coming full circle to why the pilgrims left Europe. They are the new criminals. You see, it's the people who love the police the most in this country that now have to fear them. While the people that literally assault police, in addition to committing other violent crimes, they now have to, uh, they, they have no fear. This is the country we live in now. And before I get back to coronavirus and everything and, and, and what's uh, driving this tyranny, the lies undergirding this basically seizure of our Constitution, I want to segue back into the courts and this hearing here on how our side thinks we're headed with the nomination of Amy Barrett to this constitutional nirvana And really, it's a joke. None of this is going to change. Fundamental rights will not be restored. And BS rights will not be prevented from being codified into our Constitution. And this is not the fault of Amy Barrett, although there is one opinion, as I've noted before, I am a little bit concerned about her signing on to the very opinion that is enabling this coronafascism, at least in Illinois, But typically, I have these hearings off and on, especially when it's during opening statements of these bloviating senators, I have it on with the sound off because I just can't listen to them. Now I had to turn it off completely because I can't watch it. Because you're watching everyone looking like a mummy, including the nominee herself, basically looking like she's gagged. Almost looks like an Al-Qaeda hostage tape or something. Sitting in the United States Senate. And I just realized, I know this is perhaps the most minor point about the confirmation hearings. We didn't get to any of the legal issues that may or may not come up in the debate. Right now, it's just bloviating senators giving their open statements and trying to uh, look good for the cameras. But I couldn't help but think how here we are with Amy Barrett, who undoubtedly was tested before going in there, who confirmably had the virus in August, by the way, basically asymptomatically, like most other people in this country, and she has to sit there as a Supreme Court nominee wearing a diaper on her face, her humanity, her mouth, and her nose covered for hours while looking like one of those... um, Windsor Castle guards, what are they called? Those dudes in the red getup that have to sit stone-faced for hours. And the reason why that's so important, because what this demonstrates is there is no way out of the COVID jail. You can't even get the virus and be done with it. Mind you, we're told the vaccine is going to help, but evidently, if you have the virus, it doesn't help. Of course it does, but in their mind... There's no way out of it. But the point is, this dystopian image of the SCOTUS confirmation hearings is occurring under GOP control of the Senate. It's not like, okay, this is Pelosi's house. There is not a shred of difference in the unscientific tyranny 
that runs the Republican-controlled Senate than the Democrat-controlled House. But you know what? This was said blatantly last week. McConnell told reporters, if any of you have been around me since May the 1st, I've said, wear your mask, practice social distancing. Now you're, you've heard of other places that have had a different view, and they are, you know, paying the price for it. Again, referring to um, the White House. Mind you, that event was outdoors, so there's no evidence it spreads outdoors. But here we are. There is not a shred of difference between 95% of elected Republicans, but really 100% of the leadership that has all the power and the Democrats. When it comes to the mass, the corona fascism, the, the flat earth stuff, this is the issue of our time. This is going to define our lives for the rest of our lives if we don't stop this. And the party that you guys are putting your trust in actually enables it. It's actually more powerful for the left's cause to have Republicans promote this as Democrats do. All for a lie. And the consequences are devastating. I mean devastating. So many people are in debt. People that don't get handouts from government, but had their businesses destroyed and their lifelong dreams crushed by the lockdowns that these very same Republican senators signed on to. Which is why I want to introduce you to our advertiser today, our sponsor, Bills.com. Defeat your debt. We all know being in debt is terrible, especially when you don't have government to bail you out of your credit cards, student loans, mortgages. Doesn't matter what kind of debt. Being in debt flat out sucks. Well, folks, there is a way to defeat your debt, and that begins with going to Bills.com. Stop losing sleep or maxed out credit cards, or stressed out, thinking about your mortgage payments, student loans, those of you who went to all these colleges on the promise you'd get a education where you'd make hundreds of thousands of dollars and you're left with nothing but, but the bills to pay. The first step to lowering your monthly payments and becoming debt-free is to get your free debt assessment. You first have to assess where you are headed, okay? Now, folks, it only takes a few minutes and you could save hundreds or even thousands of dollars each month from debt settlement to personal loan consolidation to student loan or mortgage refinancing. Bills.com has you covered. They've been around forever. Freedom Financial Network, um, which has been in the business since 2002. They've settled over $10 billion in debt. Take the first step to defeating your debt. Get your free debt assessment today. Go to bills.com slash conservative. Bills.com slash conservative. Again, that's B-I-L-L-S dot com forward slash conservative. Now I'm going to weave in and out again, COVID courts, COVID courts today, because the two tied together with fundamental rights, which are at stake and on the chopping block more than ever because of the lying COVID cult. But I just wanted you to know that as you watch that hearing, never forget, these protocols are put in place by McConnell, who runs the Senate even against people that have already had the virus. And by the way, I am 90% sure I had the virus a week and a half to last week. So I'm waiting another couple days before I go indoors anywhere. I'm just, you know, waiting that period of time. I will not get tested. I refuse to have them own me. But I'll go for an antibody test in about a week. I'll let you know what happens. 
basically, and I have a column out today where I, where I, I talk about this. So I had a visitor to our home, family, friend of my wife, nice, nice folks. And, you know, they, they were scared. They, they show up all with masks outdoors. So my wife set up an outdoor picnic because they were traveling down to Texas. They were going on a far cross-country trip. And, you know, they were kind of scared. And my wife just set up a little picnic for them so they could eat outdoors. Eventually, we convinced them that it was stupid. And we said, A, masks don't work. And B, you don't have to be worried. And it's funny. She she actually turned to me and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I thank you guys for really teaching me this stuff. I was very scared of it. Mind you, she's in her 30s, and you know, there's no health issues with any of them. And um, eventually she came indoors. Well, about 10 days later, maybe 10, 11 days later, she texts my wife, she has the virus. Barely any noticeable symptoms. She has the virus. After all that mask wearing. Now, I don't know if I if I could have been exposed by her because it was a while after that she tested positive. But I know tons of people in my zip code have gotten it. It's kind of saturated here, finally. So a lot of people I do know have it. So for a couple days, I felt like maybe the the the, the, the most mild the mildest hybrid between an extremely light heartburn and a very light Charlie horse between my shoulder blades, my back, and then my chest. Now, mind you, I don't have a cough. I don't have respiratory symptoms. I don't have a sore throat. I don't have a fever. I don't have fatigue. As you can tell, I'm pretty pretty energetic. Um, but it, it, it's not in its severity. It was extremely mild. Like, I mean, when I do work on a Sunday outdoors and really, you know, springtime trenching or leaves or whatever. I mean, I can't move for Monday and Tuesday. I'm just so Charlie horse. There was nothing there. It didn't disrupt me. It was just kind of peculiar and random enough that it's like, well, it's got to be something. I can't miss it, but it didn't disrupt me. And given everything that's going on, that it saturated my area, I'm pretty sure that was it. But we'll find out. But that's the point. This is not even a cold for most people. The worst cases I'm, he- I'm hearing here are a flu. And this is what we are allowing our civilization to be destroyed for. This lie that somehow you're not going to get it rather than empowering people. Get ahead of it. You're going to get it. Fortify your immune system because that's real science. A lot of you might have heard of the Zelenko Protocol it's this prominent Jewish doctor in New York that early on saw patients and concocted the you know this whole um, basically an amalgamation of vitamin D, vitamin C, obviously hydroxychloroquine, but he had something else if you couldn't get a hold of it that was able to get the zinc. Obviously, zinc you you take that and then get the zinc in your bloodstream. And he lost one patient out of God knows how many. Um, he treated. He treated tons of it. He he himself is very sick with cancer. Um, I think he was the one that preemptively got Trump hydroxychloroquine. 
It's called the Zelenko Protocol. You could Google it. And that's what people need to hear. But anyway, after experiencing that with a friend, it was ironic to see one of the many stories that I'd like to share with you about the virus over the weekend. CDC has a new weekly surveillance report. It was compiled by over a dozen researchers from different academic uh, institutions in the country. They did a survey of people that had COVID and obviously pretty bad because they were outpatient unless some of them were in the hospital for other things, but these were people who were hospitalized. How they got it. This was basically the month of July. 85% of those surveyed said that they either always or often wore masks in the 14 days leading up to their testing positive. And mind you, 71% checked the box of always wearing masks. It was like 14% often, and then just 3.7% never. You know, the media will always focus on people they'll catch not wearing a mask and they get the virus. But as we've noted, likely 60 million people have gotten the virus so far. I think I did. I'm sure many of you did, whether you know it or not. And the fact that so many of you don't know it, that's the point. I mean, I would have missed this had I not had this heightened awareness in my area. People, you know, within a few blocks of me, a lot of people getting it. It literally didn't disrupt me at all. I was out on Friday because we just, you know, a family get together. Not because I wasn't feeling well. Um, but all last week I had like these, you know, tiny sensations. So we'll see what happens with that. But could you imagine the fraud of this? And mind you, July is when, you know, we had the mask mandate for a while, but it wasn't nearly as universal as it is in, in September and October. Now it's even more. Everyone getting the virus is freaking wearing a mask wherever they go. It doesn't work. It is a complete, utter joke. It's the worst false sense of security around. But I want to share with you something that takes this a step further. An amazing article one listener shared with me from Michigan. Health department investigating after a high number of strep throat cases reported at Shepherd Schools. This is in central Michigan. ABC 12 News out of Shepherd, Michigan. Listen to this. The Central Michigan District Health Department is investigating after more than a dozen cases of strep throat were reported within Shepherd Public Schools despite COVID-19 protocols. Shepherd Superintendent Greg McMillan said the cases are mainly in the elementary school in Shepherd. Both students and staff have strep throat, he said. Dr. Jennifer Morse, the medical director at the health department, said they are investigating how this happened. We are definitely concerned because, again, this is just a bit strange, she said. In other words, it's like, I don't understand. Moore said that it's unusual to see so many cases of strep throat when the school district has taken so many actions to stop the spread of COVID. She said that strep throat spreads in a similar way that COVID-19 does. So she's just really, really concerned. 
McMillan said they're not sure how strep throat is going around. He said the schools have been taking a ton of precautions for COVID-19. Now, listen to the next sentence where things start to become clear. Perhaps, folks, it is those very precautions that are causing the problem. Quote, but he points out, this is the superintendent, not the medical person, that not washing masks enough could be helping to spread the bacteria and that putting masks on different surfaces could spread it too. They take it on, take it off, touch it, put it on their desk. This is such a highly contagious disease, McMillan said, talking about strep. We just felt that if we don't get a handle on it now, it's going to get so out of control, we're going to have to shut schools anyway because we're not going to have 75% of our kids here. Interesting. This is a very telling story. Number one, it's telling that, as I noted, common illnesses like the flu and strep will be the new impetus for shutting schools. But moreover, at least they're asking the right questions. If we're all wearing masks, how do you get strep throat? Folks, remember, strep is a bacteria, not a virus. Now, I've looked it up. It does seem like strep is a particularly small Virus, the cells are particularly small, but still, they still may range somewhere from 5 to 20 times larger than SARS-CoV-2 virions. So if this can't thing can't stop a bacteria, how does it stop a virus? But then again, then again, guess what? Guess what? It doesn't stop it because it's likely contributing to the spread. Fauci himself said this. On February 17th, he met with the USA Today, um, what do you call that, the editorial board? And he said blatantly, the masks sold at drugstores don't truly protect anyone. If you look at the masks that you buy in a drugstore, the leakage around them doesn't much doesn't do much to protect you. In the U.S., there's absolutely no reason to wear a mask. But as we noted, there have been tons of clinical studies. This is a famous one out of the Hanoi healthcare workers that found that cloth masks in particular, which are the comfortable ones, I understand why people want to wear them if you're forced to wear a mask, they're comfortable, they actually spread bacteria more. This is all a lie, and we don't have a political party willing to push back against it. But one after another, we're seeing lie after lie after lie get debunked. Lie after lie. Another big story. Coronavirus. World Health Organization backflips on virus stance by condemning lockdowns. Dr. David Nabarro from WHO told world leaders over the weekend to stop using lockdowns as your primary control method. Lockdowns just have one consequence that you must never, ever belittle, and that is making poor people an awful lot poorer. We in the World Health Organization do not advocate lockdowns as the primary means of control of the virus. 
The only time we believe a lockdown is justified is to buy you time to reorganize, regroup, rebalance your resources, protect your healthcare workers who are exhausted. But by and large, we'd rather not do it. And so we really do appeal to all world leaders, stop using lockdowns as your primary control method, develop better systems for doing it. Work together and learn from each other. So what's funny is you now have social media censoring the Great Barrington Declaration, that's Drs. Gupta, Kudloff, and um, uh, what's the name? Uh, J. Paul, uh, Dr. J. from Stanford, Bhattacharya. And they got thousands of medical professionals to sign on to their declaration that we, what we are doing is wrong. Our entire view of the virus is wrong. Our entire assessment of its threat level is wrong. Our entire understanding of what we can and cannot do to combat it is wrong. They got censored, but guess what? The WHO is essentially saying that too. As they said about mask wearing until very far into it. I mean, they, they were saying it even longer than CDC that mask wearing for the healthy is counterintuitive. I mean, these are all of our major institutions said what I'm saying and what I have been saying before they became political. By the way, now that we're on the discussion of um, lockdown deaths, This is from San Francisco Chronicle. They're experiencing an average of two deaths a day from drug overdoses. Basically, there are four times as many people who died in San Francisco over the course of the virus than from the virus. The panic, the fear, the social isolation, the mental illness. More people will die and many, many more Life years lost because these are younger people. Thanks to the stupid notion that we thought that government is there to protect us from a virus, that somehow it could stop a virus. The same courts and the same political system that believes that a government cannot and should not and will not protect us from violent criminals believes it could protect us from a virus. This is an amazing quote from a Democrat in 1976. He chose to back Jimmy Carter in the Democrat primary over Hubert Humphrey. Now, Humphrey, mind you, was considered more of a moderate Democrat relative to, like, McGovern at the time. And even he as a Democrat in the 1970s said the following. I think the thing that's most most wrong with Hubert Humphrey is that he is not cognizant of the limited, finite ability government has to deal with people's problems. And I wonder whether Humphrey has intestinal fortitude to look at some programs and say no. Folks, do you know who delivered that comment in 1976 and in doing so chose to endorse what was viewed at the time as a more conservative Southern Democrat, Jimmy Carter? That was none other than Delaware Senator Joe Biden. (laughs) It's amazing that he's still around to run for president. 1976. Now we don't even have a Republican Party that could hold that ground. Then again, we don't have a Republican Party that's as quote-unquote conservative as Joe Biden was in the 90s 
on crime, really even a decade later. We have a broken Republican Party beyond belief. That's what we have here. Now, folks, there's a lot of other articles I do want to get to throughout the week. We're not going to have time for it today because I want to get back to the courts. But I just want you to know there's a lot of mounting evidence of this dry Tinder theory that most of the places that have high death numbers had very weak flu seasons the last number of years and vice versa. Those that had um, you know, low COVID deaths had higher numbers of deaths from the flu the last couple of years. So again, this demonstrates that mainly what this is, is that there's a pool of people in a five-year window that are at the end of their lives that tend to die from pneumonia, respiratory viruses. And, you know, you have certain events that sometimes will accelerate it a little bit, uh, but it averages out over time. So it's not... It's nowhere near what you saw during the Spanish flu where you have an entire generation of people where so many people are killed and and, and die young. Because um, that is a growing theory. If you look at New Zealand, um, had a pretty steep flu season recently as opposed to some other countries that had, you know, like Belgium had a very weak flu season, so they had more COVID deaths. So there's a lot of that going on. And again, it's just important to keep in mind, folks, when you're analyzing the data, that every year a million people in America are hospitalized due to pneumonia. It is, in fact, the second most common reason why people are sent to the hospital after uh, childbirth, you know, because it's a natural thing. Like childbirth, where you know, good big, big percentage of women, I guess, decreasingly so because people don't have kids anymore. But you know what I mean. Uh, you know, you're otherwise healthy. Why are you going to land in the hospital? Well, there's that. There's kidney stones, and there's pneumonia, and it's a fact of life. It's triggered by different things. There's different types, but there are a lot of people, and sometimes even healthy people, um, not necessarily immunocompromised, that get pneumonia, and sometimes they have to be hospitalized, and that's where a lot of these hospitalizations are. Most of them are not that terrible. It's really very rare that you get a very serious case, which is why, you know, remember when Johnny Anitas, um estimated when people were going nuts, he was the first guy to put his name to a paper and say, I believe that the infection fatality rate from this virus is nowhere near what they're saying it is. It, it, it's in fact 0.27 is the estimate he gave. You know what? He published the paper says, you're right, I was wrong. And he revised the global, this is global, it does range, the global rate down to 0.15. If you remember last week, we published an article basically taking the World Health Organization's latest estimate that 750 million people have gotten the virus. And we said that would work out to be about 0.13. So I'm glad to see we are in good company there with, um, you know, Johnny Anita's agreeing with us. You also have the Wall Street Journal article. Again, I'm just going quickly here. Um, If you haven't seen it, check it out. Coronavirus hit the U.S. long before we knew. Again, just more data on what we all really understood, that this virus did not just appear in late February, early March. It was around several months before and we were living with it. Some people had it. Some people did die from it. And we didn't shut down our country. What you don't know can't hurt you. What the media doesn't tell you can't hurt you. Um, and again, our our ability to mitigate it, even if you want to go down this path, became very limited once it already spread that much and much more than we 
ever thought. So that's with that. But again, I want to get back to the courts because, you know, we have the courts destroying society, giving rights to illegal aliens, criminals. Um, I, I mean, the voting is out of hand. They are literally going to hand the election to the Democrats, uh, allowing the Democrats to um, codify into law any voting anomaly that the source organizations uh, need in order to juice up the vote. They're winning every court case on that. So you say, all right, well, let's at least get our people on the courts to strike down their stuff. Nope. So far, nothing. You had Bush appointees in the Eastern District of New York that upheld the restrictions on synagogues. Um, there was a lawsuit by Jewish organizations, by the Brooklyn uh, Catholic, uh, Diocese of the Catholic Church. Um, they both lost. They, they were, I believe they were both Republican judges, uh, Bush appointees. And here's where we are. So everyone's fighting over Amy Barrett. And the big issue I'm seeing as I'm watching the hearings is Obamacare. So I, I first want to make a political point and then a legal point to, to the broader picture that we're seeing. So the Democrats are, they've clearly pulled this and they clearly coalesced on a strategy to make Obamacare the major issue. Oh, you know, she's going to strike down Obamacare and it's going to really screw with us. Now, mind you, it's not going to happen because at best, you'll have five justices saying the individual mandate is unconstitutional, but that's meaningless because it's already zeroed out. There's no fine. So it's already basically out and it's functioning anyway without it. So nothing is going to change. It's going to be a semantics thing and they're not going to so-called strike down the Medicaid expansion and the coverage mandates and things like that. That's just not going to happen. I'm sorry to disappoint you. That's the reality. So this whole thing is theater. But the fact that Democrats are on the offense and Republicans are on the defense is the failure of this phony party and phony conservative movement to give a vision on health care the last few years. They ran away from the issue. They didn't show how the left is creating a monopoly, how Obamacare destroyed private practice. It boxed consumers out of the business. It boxed out consumer choice. Republicans turned a winning issue into a losing issue. So that's just, I just want to make a health care point. But as far as a legal point is concerned, um, I just want to make this point abundantly, abundantly clear. Republicans and conservatives are, are lodging the wrong strategy here. They're trying to hit the Democrats. Oh, they want to pack the courts. Oh, they want to end separation of powers. Suddenly, Republicans are the judicial supremacists because they wrongly think that they're going to have a majority on the court to do to the left what the left has done to us for 60 years and strike down their stuff, their regulations, their stuff. It's not happening. It's not happening. And frankly, it will not happen. Folks, we have the best opportunity of a lifetime to look at the Democrats and say, you're right. Courts shouldn't have the final say in striking down things. Let's shake on it. If the courts make it an opinion on a broadly political issue that your side doesn't like, we'll continue to slug it out in the political branches. But hey, buddy, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Then we do it on abortion. We do it on marriage. We do it on transgenderism. We do it on election law. And let's call it even. We do it on affirmative action. Instead, Republicans are like defending judicial supremacism 
under the guise that somehow they're going to benefit. Now, look, there's one thing if you're going to have a majority on the courts to enforce the Constitution the way we know it. Now, I don't believe they should be the final say because it's the courts. It should be the final say because that's the Constitution. But I would understand politically why we would benefit. I have news for you folks. We will not overturn a any meaningful existing bad precedent that's in the courts. You don't even have to go back to 1973, Roe v. Wade. Even stuff just from a year or two ago. Do you think Bostock is going to be overturned from just a couple months ago? No. Now you might say, well, we only had three, Barrett would give us four. But even Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh has made it very clear. He will oppose new bad stuff, but once it's made, even if he's in the dissent, he's like Roberts. He's going to join with you. He's going to join with the bad guys. Last week, there was a very important event that happened at the Supreme Court, an opinion, an order that sheds a lot of light on what's going on that, again, this is the type of thing you're only going to hear here and, and it's going to be mixed. It's going to be missed with all the just fluff commentary about the SCOTUS, Amy Barrett confirmation hearings. There was a gay marriage case that came back to the Supreme Court, the Kim Davis case. If you remember, Kim Davis was a Rowan County, Kentucky clerk. She was a clerk for 35 years following Kentucky law that a marriage is a marriage. It was reaffirmed by the state's voters in um, a referendum in 2004. 75% voted for it. Marriage is a marriage, a man and a woman. Of course, we all remember that in 2015, a couple months after Obergefell, a federal district judge who was actually a Republican appointee applied Obergefell and made her do it and then held her in contempt and threw her in jail for like five days. And that was the sign that America was beginning to become like North Korea. A licentious version of it, but North Korea nonetheless. She had a case that wound its way to the Supreme Court. Now, it's complicated, but basically, not only... To add insult to injury, not only did they, like, they got their stupid license, they threw her in jail for five days, but now there's one of these same-sex couples is suing her for emotional damages, like, for her refusal initially to issue the, the license. And she's trying to apply some degree of qualified immunity of a public official. So the, the, the case before us is not really about, you know... um whether a state has to recognize gay marriage or, you know, a social question or Obergefell, it's over a, a sphere of qualified immunity. And it seems like all nine justices agreed that the argument of qualified immunity was not appropriate here, including Clarence Thomas and all these guys. They felt it wasn't appropriate. So they denied her uh, cert, uh, her application for cert. They denied cert. And the six circuit ruling against her unqualified immunity is going to stand. But Justice Thomas wrote a concurrence in which he said, look, this was not an appropriate avenue to revisit Obergefell because it's really about qualified immunity. But this is yet another reminder 
of how Obergefell, despite the lies that it wouldn't, you know, harm religious liberty, is doing that, and how BS made up rights necessarily infringes upon real rights. And he wrote a beautiful screed on this. And he noted that Davis may have been one of the first victims of this court's cavalier treatment of religion in its Obergefell decision, but she will not be the last. Due to Obergefell, those with sincerely held religious beliefs concerning marriage will find it increasingly difficult to participate in society without running afoul of Obergefell and its effect on other anti-discrimination laws. And he basically said, this petition implicates important questions about the scope of our decision in Obergefell, but does not cleanly present them. For that reason, I concur in denial of cert. Nevertheless, this petition provides a stark reminder of the consequences of Obergefell. By choosing to privilege a novel constitutional right over the religious liberty interests explicitly protected in the First Amendment, and by doing so undemocratically, the court has created a problem that only it can fix. Until then, Obergefell will continue to have ruinous consequences for religious liberty. Basically, Thomas promised to come back to Obergefell. We're not done with this. How many justices signed on to that opinion? One. Alito. Notice, notably, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh did not sign on. And certainly Roberts, although remember, Roberts wrote one of the dissents against Obergefell. But the point is, once an issue is decided, especially if it's like really sacred to the political class, the Gorsuches of the world and the Kavanaugh's of the world will not revisit it. So at best, we have three votes after Barrett to go after Roe, Obergefell, Bostock, and things like that. The notion that this will be a fifth vote is absurd. I'm just warning you. There's an originalist and there's an originalist. And again, I like most of what I've seen about Amy Barrett, but again, to come full circle, it's kind of interesting how... We warn with the homosexual agenda being the biggest threat to religion, and it certainly is, but now we're seeing with the COVID cult just as much of a threat to the practice of religion in this country. And Barrett did sign on to an opinion by Diane Wood, Judge Diane Wood in the Seventh Circuit, upholding what the Illinois governor did to churches. Do you think any Republican senator will ask her about that? Do you think COVID fascism and fundamental rights during a time of a pandemic will even come up during the confirmation hearings? You're going to have this nauseating mask display, which exemplifies in itself the destruction of our Constitution, where Democrats attack her for stupid reasons and Republicans just try to run out their time to ask softball questions to get through the hearing. And all the while, we don't even know where she or any judge stands on the core issues, not just in the abstract in a academic setting, but if they would have the guts to write what Thomas wrote to actually revisit these terrible opinions. COVID and the courts. Boy, do those two issues define our lives now. And I'm just going to tell you, 
we need another team on the playing field to give our side of the story. Because right now, regardless of what happens in this election, we do not have that side. Anyway, this is going to be another long week. We're going to have a lot more commentary on both of these issues, confirmation hearings. There's a lot of other stuff going on with the violence and the Antifa stuff. 70% of arrests in Portland for rioting went unprosecuted, including most assaults on police. We obviously have another Patriot group who's uh, um, one of their members was shot dead in broad daylight by an Antifa punk because there's no deterrent. I have a border agent who's on the intel side of things. So he gets all of DHS's intel bulletins. You know these stories about DHS focusing on so-called right-wing violence and white supremacy? Like, you literally have thousands upon thousands of BLM and Antifa destroying, beating, maiming, burning. Like, come on, there's no way DHS is focused on that. Yes way. I'm going to try to share some of the intel that I have. Um, But it's interesting, I have a border agent that is tapped into that. That is what they're focusing on. Our government is just as broken, if not more so, than when it was four years ago under Obama. This is not a matter of blaming Trump necessarily. This is not a matter of saying, don't vote for him once, twice, three times. But just recognize what we are doing is not working. We need a better path. And you know what? God might just be pushing us in that direction in the coming weeks. We'll see. It's certainly going to be a volatile time. Till tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. Send this show to one and all. Stay armed, stay knowledgeable, and stay safe.